Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Football podcast. I'm your host Billy Powell and we are back going over and talking through everything that happened in the Premier League's games that took place over the weekend for game week 21. Now there weren't any games on Friday night so getting straight into the episode, getting straight into Saturday and starting off with of course the early kickoff, which was between Everton and Newcastle United. We all know the poor run of form that Newcastle are on at the minute and with Steve Bruce still in charge of them, I personally didn't have much hope for this game and I don't think many Newcastle fans held out much hope either. And I've got to say, they proved every one of us wrong. I don't know if it was Everton just playing very poor or whether it was Newcastle that actually played very well, but whatever it was, it didn't matter. Callum Wilson came close to breaking the deadlock midway through the first half, but his header could only be directed onto the bar. For the first half, it was very even, I thought. Other than that Callum Wilson chance that hit the bar, neither team really had any clear-cut chances, but that changed in the second half. Wilson was played through by Ryan Fraser to put in one-on-one with the keeper, but he just couldn't convert convert his eff- <laughs> convert his effort. Sorry. But give him enough chances and he eventually will. Which is exactly what he did from a corner just after the 70th minute mark with a beautiful header. And then later in the 93rd minute he got himself a second. Jamal Lewis crossed the ball into him. And after missing his one-on-one chance earlier, he wasn't going to pass up another chance as he slotted it home. 2 nils how the game finished. And Steve Bruce's job is safe for another week. God knows how he quite does it, but when you think it's just going to be his last game, somehow he manages to get a performance out of the side. Everton, on the other hand, will be bitterly disappointed with that performance and will feel like it's another three points lost. And with Leeds up next, it doesn't get much easier for them. Crystal Palace took on Wolves in one of the three three o'clock kickoffs that took place on Saturday. And being perfectly honest, it was a very boring game. 
Neither team really looked like scoring at all in the first half, with only four shots being taken in the whole of the first half, and all four of them going to Palace. None of them clear-cut or even troubled the keeper, though, but just on the hour mark, Palace made their chances count when Eberiche Eze's powerful strike hit the back of the net. Poor goalkeeping, really. I mean, he just let the ball kind of go under his body, I guess. And with the ball going straight down the middle of the goal, the keeper's got to be doing better. The second half did open up up a bit, but again, no real chances were made and Wolves look really ropey at the minute. A lot of their fans have actually been calling for Nuno out and for the club to get him sacked. And, I mean, if they want to get relegated, then it'd be certainly one way to do it. But what Nuno has done for that club has been massive for them. He gave the fans the opportunity to call the team better than Villa for a couple of seasons. And they've now been brought down back to earth a little bit. Palace, though, just seem to always do it, don't they? They manage to get these kinds of results, which will always see them finish in mid-table rather than down at the bottom in a relegation scrap. Fair play to them for it, though. I mean, one thing that does worry worry me about Palace is their lack of goals from strikers. Between Ayu Batshuayi and Benteke all season, they've had five goals combined. With Zaha currently on nine and Eberiche Eze on three, they'll be hoping that Jean-Philippe Mateta, having come in, he'll be able to find a bit of form and get some goals under his belt to give Palace another outlet to get goals. The next game to take place was between a Man City side coming off the back of winning 5-0 against West Brom in midweek and a Sheffield United side also coming off the back of a win against second place Manchester United. But it wasn't long before Man City had gotten their goal. Nine minutes is all it took for Pep Guardiola's side to get ahead through Gabriel Jesus and this was a bit of a weird goal if I'm being honest with you. I'm not too sure how for Rantaridge managed to keep hold of the ball to start with, with about four or five players around him. But when he laid it off to Gabriel Jesus, three yards out from goal, he showed some great composure. Rather than taking the shot on first time, he waited for Ramsdale to dive the wrong way before then eventually turning it into the goal. And despite Sheffield United managing to beat Man United... There was only ever going to be one team winning this game. And with the goal coming so early on in the game, I don't think many people would have thought that it would have remained 1-0 throughout. But it did, and although City played some beautiful football, creating all sorts of chances, they just weren't able to get that extra security goal. City, though, are back where they belong now, at the top of the table. Three points clear of Man United in second, with a game in hand over them as well. And as, as I predicted before the season started, they're the only side who I can see winning it. I didn't expect for them to have a dodgy spell at the beginning, but there was no doubt that they'd eventually be able to get back on track at some point. And now with seven wins on the bounce, I think it is... I mean, they're certainly back at their best, aren't they, really? And without Kevin De Bruyne. The final three o'clock kickoff was between West Bromwich Albion and Fulham. Some would have written this game off as being a typical, boring relegation scrap game. But these kind of games are some of my favourites to watch as a neutral because there's a, the possible relegation on the line and it just means something to both sides. And for me personally, other than the Villa game, which we'll get onto in a bit, this was my favourite game from the weekend. 
As you'd know if you've been listening to some of my previous episodes, Fulham have been one of the teams that I've really been keeping an eye on this season. And I've also really enjoyed them watching them play. They play some really good football at times. And when watching them in the first half of this game, you certainly wouldn't have thought that they, that they were a team down the bottom of the table. Fulham did break the deadlock just 10 minutes into the game through Bobby Reid. And I actually tweeted this out just after he scored. But Bobby Reid, in my opinion, is a really good striker that often gets overlooked. When I've seen him play, he often gets into the right positions. And he's also a good finisher too. Just after I tweeted that though, he did get another chance one-on-one, which typically he hit the post. But the previous point about him being a very good forward still stands, okay? (laughs) He was still in the right position, but he just wasn't able to turn this one in. That did come to cost Fulham though. I mean, in the second half, it was like two complete polar opposites. West Brom were now the team who looked like they were going to score when going forward. And Fulham kind of looked a bit scared, which I really found strange considering the fantastic first half that they had. Anyways, the Baggies did get a goal just two minutes into that second half though through Kyle Bartley. And then just six minutes after the hour mark, West Brom got another goal through Mateus Pereira. Then the game switched back round and it was the same two sides from the first half. Really, really bizarre. But in the sixties, uh, in the seventy-sixth minute, sorry, Ivan Cavaliero got another goal to level the tie. And with Fulham pushing for the winner, they just fell short as both teams came away with just a point. I think both teams will feel like it's a chance miss for three points, particularly Fulham, after how dominant they were in that first half. Man United were hosted by Arsenal in the half past five kickoff. And very much like these top top six clashes this season, it was yet another very boring and very underwhelming game. Martin Odegaard started on the bench, which I was very disappointed about, but I suppose it's understandable after only having a few days training. The best chance of the game, though, came from Edison Cavani, when he just couldn't turn in Luke Shaw's deflected shot from only a couple of yards out. Cavani then had another chance later in the game from Aaron Wan-Bissaka's cross, which again just couldn't be turned in, as the game ended 0-0. United remained remained in second place, one point off Liverpool in in third, and two in front of Leicester in fourth. Arsenal, though, now sit in tenth, two points in front of both Southampton and Leeds, having played an extra game than both of those clubs as well. Saturday's final game of the day saw Southampton welcome Aston Villa to St Mary's and wow, there's a lot that can be said for this game so I'm going to be completely honest and put my claret and blue tinted glasses aside but VAR costs Southampton massively here. Six minutes in, Matty Cash handled the ball and when watching the game I just resigned to the fact of it being a certain penalty but somehow it wasn't. After hearing the reason for it coming off Matty Cash's thigh, then of course going off the letter of the law, it wasn't a penalty. But you certainly seen the you've certainly seen them given. Sorry, and I personally feel that Villa got very lucky with this decision. Unfortunately for Villa, that was quite the theme in this game. Despite it being a fairly even first half, Villa did manage to get their goal just after the 40th minute mark when Ross Barkley headed home Jack Grealish's cross. 
The second half was different though. Southampton really piled on the pressure, barely letting Villa out of their own half. And in the 70th minute, former Birmingham City player Shea Adams looked like he'd got the equaliser, but Emmy Martinez somehow managed to keep his shot out. On the 85th minute, Jan Bednarek came close off a corner, but Martinez again pulled, managed to pull off one of the best reflex saves I've seen in a very long time. But then, in the 92nd minute, Southampton did manage to get past the wall of Argentina. That wasn't until VAR had another look, though, and after... Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm lost for words for this. VAR, as always, have a look at the goals, of course. But after drawing a few lines and whatever they do, they came to the conclusion that Danny Ings's black armband is what ruled him offside. Look, I'm over the moon as a Villa fan that it was ruled out offside because we won the game. But the fact that a black armband is what ruled him offside is an absolute joke. Before you know it, if they keep this rule as it is, strikers will start to roll up their sleeves and players will be playing in vests like they're doing basketball. It's just a joke. This isn't football. This isn't the beautiful game we all love to watch. VAR really need to sort themselves out and give some sort of leniency or do something to stop this pathetic rule from ruining the beautiful game. The fact that they've given him an offside because his armband is offside. I mean, I'm lost for words. I'm completely lost for words. Football is gone and things have to change and they have to change soon. Anyways, moving into Sunday and it was Thomas Tuchel's new side who started off the day as Chelsea took on Burnley. After a poor result in the week against Wolves, only managing a goalless draw... Tuchel was looking for his first win as the new Blues boss and it was club captain Azpilicueta who got the first goal of Tuchel's reign. Hudson-Odoi played the ball into Azpilicueta's path and no doubt the Burnley players were expecting Azpi to cross it but instead he took them all by surprise and smashed it into the roof of the net. Early in the second half, Chelsea looked like they'd made it too when Hudson-Odoi's shot was deflected onto the post but Chelsea's continuing press, continuous pressing did get them the second. And what a goal it was. Marcus Alonso, for 30 seconds, turned into prime R9. Controlling the ball on his chest, kneeing it up and volleying it past Nick Pope. Burnley narrowly missed out on becoming the first team this season to not register a shot all game in the 94th minute. But as you can imagine, when having one shot, it was never going to be enough and Chelsea ran out easy 2-0 winners, which will be a huge relief for Tuchel to finally get his first win as under his new team. Next up was Leicester's game against Leeds and this had the mar- makings to be a very good game. Leicester have been one of my favourite teams to watch this season and with Madison and Barnes flying high, Leeds would have to be at their very best to keep them out. Which wasn't the case. (laughs) 13 minutes in is all it took for these two to combine and link up for the first goal of the afternoon. But they weren't ahead for long though. Stuart Dallas equalised just two minutes later after a great finish for a forward, let alone a fullback. Going into the break at 1-1 was probably a fair result, but the second half 
was a weird one. In the first half, Madison had a lot of the ball creating chances left, right and centre. But he didn't really get on, the, in the second half, sorry, he just didn't really get on the ball enough. And in my opinion, that's what really hindered Leicester. When Madison was out of the game, Leeds were the only team who looked like they were going to score. And that's just exactly what they did. Patrick Bamford scored a beautiful goal, placing it in the top corner. And Leeds weren't done yet. After a very quick counter-attack, Bamford was one-on-one with the keeper, but didn't take the shot on. Instead, he very unselfishly passed it across to the oncoming Jack Harrison, who was able to tap it into the net. Bielsa and Leeds will consider that a very good day at the office. And it seems like Leicester are really missing Jamie Vardy, who would have loved to have been running behind that Leeds defence. West Ham versus Liverpool was the penultimate game of the weekend. And with Liverpool's very poor attacking returns in 2021, it was going to be an interesting to see how this one panned out. The first half was very much what I expected. Liverpool had held a lot of the ball, had a fair few chances, but just couldn't take them. But as I've said a fair few times for this weekend, the first, the second half, sorry, was a completely different story to the first. Just before the hour mark, Mo Salah broke his Premier League goal drought with a beautiful strike into the top corner. And then just 10 minutes later, scored one of the goals of the weekend. Straight on the counter-attack from a West Ham corner, Trent cleared the ball with a beautiful pass over to Shakiri, who then played another beautiful first-time ball into Salah, who controlled it with his right and slotted it home with his left to completely kill the game off. In the 84th minute, Liverpool added a third through Giddy Wijnaldum, and just when you thought that there, there would be no more goals in this game, West Ham got a consolation through Craig Dawson off of a corner, but it was never going to be enough as the game ended 3-1. Back-to-back 3-1 wins for Liverpool now, and with the talk of a couple of defensive signings taking place on deadline day, they'll be very happy and will certainly be looking to bolster that defence up a bit more. Klopp, I can imagine, won't be best pleased at, at the fact that they did concede such a poor goal in the end to rid them of that clean sheet. But in football, it's the three points that matters, and that's exactly what they got in the end. The final game of the weekend was between Brighton and Spurs, which shaped up to be a very close game. And looking at the underlying stats, surprisingly in Brighton's favour, that's how the game went. Spurs just could not get out of their own half, with Brighton really putting the pressure on Spurs, and they made it count. After some very nice foot play down the right, Pascal Gross's pass across the box was met by Leandro Trossard, who passed it straight into the back of the net. With Harry Kane out injured for this game, Spurs had very little attacking threat, and with that, it really didn't take much to keep them out as the game ended 1-0. Brighton were actually unfortunate for it not to be two after Alderweireld's blocked shot on the line, but they came away with the three points anyway. And I mean, you could tell in Jose Mourinho's press post-match that he really wasn't happy, and understandably so. Poor all round from Spurs, if we're being absolutely honest, as they now sit in 12th place, two points off West Ham in 5th. And Brighton, though, have now pulled themselves out of that relegation scrap putting them seven points off the bottom three. And that is all from me today. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LTFootballPod. 
Don't forget to share the pod between your friends as well. Each and every follower really does mean a lot. But take it easy and I'll see you back here for an episode on Friday. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.